0: Welcome to the Tarleton BSM podcast. Today we will be continuing our 402 series To the Ends of the Earth. We hope you enjoy this message from Clayton Bullion. So we're gonna end up in Acts 9. So if you wanna find that in your Bible or flipping on, we're gonna get there eventually. Um, so if you don't have your Bible, don't worry about it. We will we'll have the words up on the screen. Um, but chances are when you started this semester, there were some things that continued to shock you. You know, when we started 2020, there was just some, lots of things that continued to shock us. Um, those of you that were on Beach Reach with us, do you remember? Do you remember we like rolled down to Beach Reach and it was like, we're doing this mission trip and this is super exciting. Um, and then as the week continued, we heard rumors of this thing called uh, Corona. But it wasn't like the Beach Reach Corona, but it was the virus Corona. Um, and we're trying to figure out what the heck is going on with the world, because nobody in South Padre Island could care. I mean, nobody was social distancing. Nobody was wearing masks. We were making fun of all the memes of the people in Walmart with the milk jugs over their head as the makeshift masks. Um, and then we, and then, and then everybody was like, "Hey, listen! If you can find toilet paper, make sure you buy toilet paper." And we thought that is the weirdest thing ever. There's no reason we should have to buy toilet paper. And then, like, as soon as we got off the island, it was like we stepped into the Hunger Games. (laughs) It was like, oh, my gosh, there really is no toilet paper. This is is actually true. Um, And then here we are, eight months later, trying to figure out what the heck's going on. But we have toilet paper. You know, 2020 is ending on a good note, right? But. Have you ever had those moments that have just kind of shocked you into reality? And maybe, maybe it's something light, um, you know, and, and it's something your mom says that just completely catches you off guard and cracks you up. Something your dad's, your dad said that was slightly inappropriate that kind of made you wonder, there's a chance he could have been cool when he was younger. Um, or maybe, maybe, maybe it gets a little more serious. And it's like, uh, that moment where you, you're texting while you're driving. And of course, none of y'all do that, but your friend maybe is texting while they're driving and you look up and you nearly got in a wreck and it kind of sobers you pretty instantly. Um, or maybe, maybe you're, um, well, let me tell you a story how I got shocked, um, literally. So I used to be a janitor uh, in college. One of the ways I paid for college is I was a janitor at my church and I got a call saying, hey, you need to go fix the light in the women's restroom. I'm like, OK, so I walk in and it's one of those long halogen lights, not halogen, um, fluorescent lights. Sorry, it's been a long day and uh, it kind of shifted and fell. And when it fell, some wires got disconnected. So I pull the ladder in and it's dark. And so I kind of crack the door open or kind of prop the door open. So there's light coming in. And so I'm working on this light. And things you don't think through when you walk into a dark room, you think, well, probably probably I need to flip the fuse off. Because the light wasn't on, so I thought, well, we probably blew a fuse when it, when, it, when it shifted. No, when it shifted, it just disconnected the wires. There was still electricity going through it. Uh, but I didn't know that until the moment when the wire touches the metal casing and I'm up on a ladder. And the next thing I remember is I'm lying in the dark in the women's restroom on my back. And I don't know how long it's been. I don't know. Obviously, nobody came to check on me, but there were sparks. We blew the fuse. I jumped off the ladder and just totally wiped out. A shocking experience. Um, I've been. We just we bought a house. We're gonna move in next Saturday. So if you got any plans, love for you to kick off the Thanksgiving week with us by helping us move. But all day I've been rewiring, running electrical cord. It was just lots of fun. So about two hours ago. I'm remembering this story because I'm like, I'm going to tell this story. It's funny. And I'm like working on a light switch. I'm thinking. The fuse is off, right? The fuse is off. Yeah, the fuse is off because the I just worked on this switch and the fuse is off. It's like, yeah, the fuse is off. And about that moment, my phone vibrates and I kind of lean over to see what it says. And the wire touches the metal casing. It shocks. I scream like a junior high girl, drop all the tools, the lights go off. And I'm sitting there in this house going, dang it, something's never changed. (laughs) Shocking moment. Shocking moment. And sometimes you have some of those moments that are very literal, and sometimes you have those moments that are emotional. Sometimes you have those moments, if you've been walking with Jesus long enough, where God just kind of steps in a very real and a powerful way, and it kind of catches you off guard. And maybe it's... You hear the voice of God and, and maybe it's not audible, but you very clearly like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Or maybe it's in the midst of the sermon and you don't remember anything that they said except for this one thing. And it's totally wrecking your world. Or maybe it's this moment where you're praying and God ex- begins to reveal this sin in your life. And it just totally just drains the life out of you. It's shocking. It's un It's unexpected. The past several weeks we've been in the book of, book of Acts and talked about the first week about Acts 1, about God's mission. God is on a mission. He's calling us to be on that mission. Um, we kind of caught up through Acts 10 and talked about Peter. Um, and the big idea last week was that God wants to change the world and he wants to use you to do it. And there's this beautiful picture where God calls Peter so that someone else can hear the gospel. He calls him off the roof. And the question is, when you hear God, are you obeying Him? Or are you still arguing with Him? Are you seeing God move? Are you are you are you walking in that? So tonight, in order to step forward, we're going to take a step back because next week we're going to talk a little bit about commissioning. Next week we're going to celebrate of Doom, missions, and so we're going to take a step back into Acts nine tonight and talk a little bit about a guy named Paul, who had one of those kind of come to Jesus moments, actually very literally, but kind of a shocking kind of average normal day. And Jesus decides to step in in a very powerful way and change the course of history through this guy. So Acts 10, you ready? I'm sorry, Acts 9. Acts 9, here we go. We're going to do verse one. We're going to go one through 20. So stick with me. If You've got ADD and your mind wanders. Just bring it back. We'll get through all 20 verses. Okay, here we go. So, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So they might find, if he found any belonging to the way men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Context. Paul is killing Christians. Paul or Saul at this point, his name changes later is killing Christians. And he likes it so much that not only is he just killing Christians as he finds them, he's going on road trips. To find them and getting letters from the leaders of that in that time saying, can I go find more of them? This is a bad dude, bad dude. Nobody wants to meet Saul, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. So now as he went on the way, verse three, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you? Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you were persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Now the men who were traveling with him stood. I read that. Verse 8, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing, so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, he neither ate or drank. Okay, let's pause there before we hit this last paragraph. Saul is the worst of the worst. He's on an average day doing what he thinks he's supposed to be doing, and Jesus steps in a very powerful, meaningful way. You may be here and think, there is no way the God of the universe wants to talk to me. There's no way I have done this. I have done this. There's just no way I'm the worst person in the world. I'm the last person on earth. God would ever want to say, Hey, I have a plan for you. Guys, I would like to offer as exhibit a, Acts X nine as to say, you're not that bad. If, if Jesus is going to step in and speak to Saul then Jesus can step in and speak to anybody. You are not too far gone. You are not so far away from Jesus that he can't find you. You haven't sinned so much that God looks and tries to figure out where the heck are you? He knew Saul was on the road to Damascus and he had been planning on meeting him there. Guys, God planning and wanting and yearning to meet you on your journey. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you think you're the worst of the worst or the best of the best, you are not too far gone. If Jesus is hunting down Saul, then he's hunting down you as well. So he gets knocked off his donkey, looks up blind and has to be led by the hand of the rest of the way. Guys, think through this. Saul is one of the most prideful men at this point because he is he's on the top of his game. Everybody who follows him is like, this is the guy. Nobody's more zealous than him. And all of a sudden, he went to be the guy riding the donkey to the guy being led by hand. There's a serious shift in his stature. Serious shift. So verse 10, now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight on the house of Judas. Look, the man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias to come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've, I've heard a lot about this man, how much, how much evil he's done in the saints of Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias is no dummy. God, I know this guy. I've heard about him. Like he's actually shown up to Damascus and he's looking for me. Like he wants to put me in prison. God, I have a problem with this. Don't you love me? Surely if you love me, you're going to make my life comfortable. Surely if you love me, you wouldn't put me in harm's way. Surely if you love me, you would make this difficult or awkward. I mean, what am I going to say to him? Hi, Saul. I'm Ananias. I know you can't see me, but I'm terrified of you. God, what are you doing here? And in this moment, God says in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I'll show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you on the road by which you came, and he has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And for days, and for some days, he was with the disciples of Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God we'll stop there. There's a moment where Saul becomes a follower of Jesus. There's a moment where Saul becomes a follower of Jesus. On an average, everyday, normal trip, God steps in. I don't know if you're picking up a pattern on this, but it seems like on normal, everyday gatherings, Jesus just seems to step in and change. It's the moments when we're least expecting it that God shows up in a powerful way and alters our course like he altered Saul's. Jesus steps in radically and changes Saul from someone who's wanting to kill Christians to being the very person that he would have killed three days earlier. And if you're here and you've been raised in a church culture, you're probably thinking, well, I mean, yeah, that's Saul. Like, that's Saul. Like the, I'm, I'm not that person. Like I don't, I'm a church kid. Like I, my parents went to church. I'm, my dad was a pastor or a deacon. You know, I was, I've been to church all my life. And the craziest thing I did one time is at VBS, I took a crayon and my, my mom found out, made me go to apologize. And like that. I haven't done anything bad. I'm just, I'm just a, I'm not a Saul. Okay. And that's okay. And you maybe hear me like, oh yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a Saul that's my story I've done some dumb stuff I've got a a testimony because I want you to realize that there are two people that are obedient to God in these moments and in my mind Paul or Saul is not the superstar of this chapter the superstar of this chapter one is the Lord Jesus but the example we can follow is Ananias Because if Ananias hadn't heard the word of the Lord, hadn't attuned his ear to hearing God, if Ananias hadn't leaned into the uncomfortable and taken a step of faith, because God said so, there would be no Saul. You could go to Straight Street in Damascus and you could see the blind man sitting there still waiting for Ananias to come. And just like we talked about last week, God wants to change the world and he wants to use you. He wants to use me. But in order to do that, we have to hear God and we have to obey. Because just like Saul, Jesus is stepping in all the time, trying to change our way, change our course, change our pattern. Just like Ananias, on the random Tuesdays of life, God is saying, I have a mission for you. Are you paying attention? have a mission for you but it's in those moments that we have to be aware enough to make the decision did Ananias know that when he laid hands on Saul that Saul was going to write most of the New Testament no Ananias didn't even know there was going to be a New Testament it was just testament to him did Saul know Did Saul know that he was going to be the one to bring the gospel to 49 different cities after this moment? No. All Saul knew is, Jesus is the one who spoke to me. He revealed himself to me and he saved me from my sins, so I'm going to trust him. And a legacy like Saul and a legacy like Ananias starts with the one act of obedience. the one act of obedience. Probably most of us fall into two different categories here tonight. One, we feel like we're so we're so guilt ridden and full of shame that there's no way God could ever use us. Listen. you don't think Paul or Saul at this point was tempted to wrestle with guilt and shame? Yeah, you got angry and blew up at your mom. Yeah, you cheated on that test. But your whole life mission wasn't to kill Christians. Do you think Paul didn't wrestle that? And Paul didn't let this weigh him down to move forward with the mission of God. He didn't say, God, there's no way you could use me. He said, My strength or my weakness is perfected in your strength. Or chances are, If you're not in that ditch, you're in this ditch. And you're like, I'm going to do something amazing for God. God's lucky to have me on his team. I was a youth group all-star. I've memorized all the scripture. Or I got saved in college and I'm the new believer and everybody talks about me and this is my testimony. And I'm super amazing. And I'm going to do some really great things for God, but you suck at being obedient. And Ananias could have fallen into this. God, I've done everything right. There's no way I want to end my, I don't want to end my life by going and visit him. It doesn't make sense, Jesus. I'm not going to go visit Paul. I'm not going to do the thing you asked. If you want to walk in a lifetime of obedience, then it starts by being obedient now in the small things. You are never going to be this amazing evangelist if you just don't obey God in the small things he's asking you to do now. You're never going to be able to lead your family to follow Jesus and be the awesome dad that you thought you never had. If you don't walk with Jesus now because the the pace you set now is the race you run later. It's your small step of obedience now. And because of Ananias' small step, Saul gets to walk in sight. And the next step is that people after people after people hear the gospel and respond. And because of that, we get to sit in this room. Sit in this open air facility. And maybe you're in the boat of saying, well, well, yeah, that's, I mean, that was Saul. And that's later on in life. But like right now, like what could God do through me? And my answer is that God could change the world through you. God could change your family through you. God could change your hall through you. God could change your hometown through you. But it starts with a radical calling of obedience. heard the voice of God and therefore I obeyed common sense out the window God said so and I believe it and I'm gonna follow it 1732 um, there's a group of people called the Moravians Um, they loved Jesus they prayed hard they were captivated by this idea that God was big enough and glorious enough to be worshipped by everyone not just the people in their little Dutch community, but everyone. Therefore, they wanted to be on mission for God. And if they found that there was a people group that didn't hear the gospel, didn't have the gospel, then they wanted to be a part of going and being, seeing the gospel, saturated community. 1732, reports come back to this little Moravian community. that There's an island in the Caribbean, and it's plantation, sugar plantation, um, slave owners, and this particular island, the majority ruler of this, this kind of plantation, the sugarcane plantation, was so angry at God and hated Christians that if a Christian landed on their island, they'd turn around and put them on their boat, and they'd send them off. Not only did they not want anything to do with Jesus, but they didn't want any of their slaves or the population on the island to have anything to do with Jesus. And here there was generations of slaves with no access to the gospel. But not only no access to the gospel, but no hope of access to the gospel. Because every every shot at it was buffered in the midst of that conversation, two young men, John Dober and, make sure I get his other name right, David Nietzscheman and John Dober, who were about y'all's age. This, these aren't like the pastors, these are a couple 20 year olds sitting in the crowd, heard the voice of God and said, Go and tell them, these are your people. The problem was that they were broke. See, told you they were 20 something. They were college students. They were broke and they had no way to pay for the, the voyage to get there. But even then, as they started talking about it, there was no way for them to get on the island because they don't allow people there that aren't slaves or on this plantation. And they said, Well, we heard the voice of God, so how do we obey Him? She so said, Okay, this is what we'll do we will sell ourselves into slavery. And the profit we make from selling ourselves, we'll use the bypassage on the boat. So when we land on the island, we're fellow slaves. So we we're owned, and that's where we need to be. And we get to share the gospel. You think the conversations you have with your parents are hard. They have these conversations, they get on the boat. As they're, as they're headed out of the harbor in, in Holland. Um, they join hands and they raise their hands and say, With the lamb that was slain, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Which is a very odd thing, the last thing to say to your parents. But basically what they said was, may Jesus, who died for our sins, who bought people with his blood, May he receive the reward of all that suffering, which is the souls of many people. And we will gladly give everything we have so that these people can hear and respond to the gospel. You know what the name of the island is today where this took place? St. Thomas. The gospel became so saturated on that island that they renamed it after a saint think about that. Two twenty-somethings heard the voice of God and they said, we'll do whatever it takes. The truth is that they're just following the normal pattern of scripture. They're not the crazy radicals. They're actually normal followers of Jesus. And you say, well, well, they were probably pastors. They were probably religion students. I mean, that's just the thing that you do when you study to be a pastor. You just sell yourself into slavery, and that's what you do. But Guys, look at the history of the Bible. Abraham, he was a shepherd. On a normal day, God interrupts. Doesn't knock him off his donkey, but he says, go to the land that I'll show you. And Abraham, a shepherd with no religious training, obeys God and is the father of many nations. Joseph, who's also a shepherd, goes from prisoner to second in command in the largest country in the world and is a politician. Moses, a foster child turned royal, turned criminal, turned shepherd, turned deliverer. No theological education. On a random day, leading his sheep, Hears the voice of God and chooses to obey, and it changes the course of history. David was a shepherd. Ag majors, you guys are all over the Bible. According to the Bible, if you're an ag major, then you're like got a target painted on your back to be used by God, because you're all throughout Scripture. Mary, the only two words they used to describe Mary was righteous and virgin. No theological education. She wasn't a religion major. Normal day. A random Joe. And she she's, she's, is chosen to be the mother of our Savior. John the Baptist. I don't know. I, if I was going to peg John the Baptist, he's probably like a philosophy major. Maybe. Maybe a, a really kind of whacked out conspiracy theory, criminal justice guy. I don't know. But think about this. Every single one of them were going about their trade and their plan for life. And God interrupted and called them to something greater. I don't know if you know much about the book of Amos in the Bible, but Amos, he was a shepherd and a tree trimmer. Okay, he had a lawn care business. Landry Little, you and Amos got something in in common, okay? He's from a town called Tacoa, which is about the same size as Claude, Texas, where Landry's from. But think about this. John the Best, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were all fishermen. And they're just a normal working their family business in a small town. And Jesus walks by and says, come follow me. And all of a sudden, everything changes. Peter, like we talked about last day, last week, it's a normal guy on a normal day on the roof. And I think that the question we have to ask ourselves, guys, Is God speaking to me, and am I going to obey Him? Because you know the group of people that Jesus doesn't call in the New Testament? Pastors. He just says bad things about us. You know who the people Jesus calls? Young, 20-somethings, doing something else with their life. The Bible was written by people who were getting secular jobs. And God called them to something greater. Everyday people doing everyday things, and in the midst of that, God uses us. But, guys, it's not just in Bible times, it's in everyday times today. Let me show you a couple things that happened on college campuses in the the past hundred years, 115 years, 200 years. In 1815, a group of students said, I'm serious about God, and I'm serious about my campus knowing God. And this is what was written in the paper at Princeton in 1815 says, There was not a person. In the class who didn't devote themselves to the Christian life, God did such a work in Princeton that every person who graduated in that class was a follower of Jesus. What would that look like when we have the eight different graduations in May that every single person, every name that was called, walked the stage, was a follower of Jesus? It takes God's calling. And just one student taking their life seriously. Taking their calling seriously. In 1858, Amherst University. This is, they said, best we can tell in our senior class, we only have three people who haven't yet professed Christ. One junior, four sophomores, and about nine to ten freshmen. Some of you guys went to duck camp and looked around like, I I think there's maybe nine to ten believers here. But what does it take to see this? One student, one calling from God, taking it seriously. 1834, Wake Forest University, their mascot's the Demon Deacons. Is there ever a place where God wouldn't move? Yes, Wake Forest. 25% of the campus were followers of Jesus, and then God moved in a powerful way, and by the end of the year, 75% of campus professed Christ. 1905, the University of Florida, 90% of campus, there was a Bible study in every dorm and every frat house. What God did in the University of Florida overwhelmed Vanderbilt, MIT, K-State, and Drake University. Because a group of students said, we're all in. Whatever you say, God. Whatever it looks like. In 1980, Berry College, 40% of the campus was involved in small groups. In 1995, at Howard Stinkin Payne University, 63 miles from here, a student stood up, and began to confess the sin. said, I think God wants more for our lives than what we've imagined, classes were canceled for a week because revival and prayer broke out. What we went down at Howard Payne? And guys, I was in junior high when this happened. I was in one of the churches. And I remember it broke out into the churches in the area. And I remember sitting in church services that lasted three and four and five hours because people would beg God to move and they spent time in prayer. And almost my entire eighth grade class came to know Christ because of what happened on a college campus. What happened in Howard Payne amongst a thousand students that Impact Beeson, Eastern Kentucky, Kentucky State, Wayland, Houston, Southwestern, Wheaton College, Trinity, Ashland, Northwestern, and Taylor Universities. Because one student said, What could God do if I'm wholeheartedly obedient? To wrap this up, guys. Jesus stepped into Saul's life, and it changed the course of history. Jesus spoke to Ananias, and he was obedient, and it changed the course of history. God wants to change the world, and he wants to use you. He wants to change your family, and he wants to use you. He wants to change your hall, and he wants to use you. He wants to change the face and the demographic of this generation, and he wants to use you. But the question is, are you going to be obedient? Am I going to be obedient? Am I going to be faithful with the little things God asks? So we see the big things later. The rest of the book of Acts is a people of God set on fire. And it moves from this fringe crazy band of followers in the Middle East and explodes across nations and ethnicities and cultures and boundaries and continents and time to where we sit here today. Guys, let's be a people. What what would it look like? What, what would it look like in 10, 15 years to look back and say in 2020 at Tarleton, this is what God did and the ripple effect of what happened Ripple effect out to this campus and that campus and this state and these nations. Because the people of God at Charlton were obedient. We're 15, 20, 30 years from now, we have international students from the backside of Africa and the mountains of Asia because they know that the person who shared the gospel with my father was from Charlton. And because of that, our family knows Jesus now. So when I go to study, I want to study at the place that started it for our family, that changed the course of our family's history. What could God do? If I could be just really honest and kind of stick my thumb in this, he's not going to do it through me. He's not going to do it through Megan. If anything, scripture says that we're probably the last two people God's going to talk to about this. He's going to do it through y'all. On a random Wednesday, sitting in your dorm, he's going to speak and you're going to have to choose to be obedient in the small things. And the ripple effect that ripple effects of that turns into the tsunami that changes the nations. Could we be the people who are obedient? Could we be the people of the book of Acts? Could we be the church on fire? John Wesley famously said If you will set yourself ablaze with passion, the world will gather to watch you burn. What would it look like for us to be so on fire for Jesus that everybody leans in and says, Who are these people about? What is God doing? There? Thank you for listening to the Tarleton BSM podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe. To keep up with everything Tarleton BSM, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tarleton BSM. See you next time.